You're listening to the Heart and Soul Podcast with Katherine Vanko. I'm on a mission to celebrate breakthrough, empowerment, and shameless living in the lives of women everywhere. Join me and let's live unashamed together. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 28 of season three of Heart and Soul. I am joined today by the amazing Jesse Jean, um, also known as just Jesse. <laughs> um, <laughs> But if you follow her on Instagram, then you've been encouraged by her. Her Instagram handle is Jessie Jean. I've been following her for over a year now, and I am just like so inspired by her vulnerability, her authenticity, um, her ability to shamelessly share her story without fear of judgment or um, worry about what people will think, but instead just a heart for encouragement for other women. So, um, I'm going to read a little bio that I wrote down for you because it ends with something that's near and dear to my heart. (laughs) Um, Jesse's on a mission to help women everywhere, overcome binge eating and find food freedom. After years of struggling with binging, yo-yo dieting and body image herself, she has now made it her life's work to help women in the fight with food and find confidence in their skin so that they can live in complete freedom. She's a business owner, a coach, a podcast host, a wife, and a dog mom to a doodle named Bear. I also have a doodle named Bear. (laughs) What? That's amazing. (laughs) I like had to put that in because I was like, we have the same dog and mine's a red golden doodle. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. How old? He's almost three. Three. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Bear is two and a half. <laughs> that's crazy. When I saw that, um, cause you like rarely share about your dog on Instagram or for what I see. And then I saw that and I was yeah. like, Oh my gosh, we even have the same dog. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've had some friends be like, why don't you share bear more? I'm like, I don't know. Do you think people want bear content? And they're like, yes, people want bear content. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> bear content and my husband content always gets the most. I'm like, do y'all not just want to see me? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, this is truly like a dream come true guest wise. I'm mm-hmm. so excited. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. And what I'm most pumped about is for you to like, dive deep into your story because I know one, I know you're so open about it and we have this slogan, shameless living. And, and the heart behind that is I don't want anyone to ever feel ashamed of what they've been through or what they're going through because our stories are what have the, is what has the power to transform other people's lives. I mean, if we don't share, then how can we encourage others to step into freedom or step into um, whatever's waiting for them on the other side. And that's why I admire you so much is because you just come as you are and you're mm-hmm. like, this is who I am. This is where I've been. This is where I'm at. And this is where I plan to go. And I just like, I love that so much. So would you mind kind of diving deep into your history with, um, body image and nutrition mm-hmm. and all the things, and then we'll kind of unpack it from there. Yeah, absolutely. So I started, um, struggling with, uh, my relationship with food when I was in high school. That's when I, the first time I really started to notice my body. And, um, before that I kind of just lived in the skin I was in. I didn't know whether I was thin or not, or pretty or not. I never, I never even had that concept until I got into high school. And, um, I was a perfectionist and really struggled, um, to, 
to, I was really struggling because I was doing so much and I was stretching myself so thin. I started to sleep. Oh, maybe, maybe four or five hours a night all the way through high school. Um, sometimes to just do it all and do it all to the best of my ability. I was in advanced classes. I was doing, um, athletics. I was in student government. I was volunteering. I was doing anything and everything I could, um, to, to try and, uh, get scholarships and set myself up for success. Um, I knew that in order to go to college, I needed to get scholarships. Uh, my parents didn't have the money to send me and I really wanted to go. And so, um, I just really, really gave it everything I had. And in doing that, um, this perfectionism started to translate into the way that I looked. I was a cheerleader in high school and, um, naturally petite. I was, uh, one of the top girls who was being thrown in the air for stunts and, um, Um, as I was growing, um, and, uh, just developing as a young woman, um, I was getting heavier and I transferred from being a top girl to being a base. And I remember feeling like that was somehow, uh, a failure on my part. Um, and I started to control my eating. I felt like if I could just control what I was eating, then I could stay small or I could get smaller. Um, and in doing that, it ended up spiraling out of control. The more I restricted, uh, the more cravings I would have. And eventually I would snap and I would binge. And I didn't even have that terminology when I was in high school, binge or emotional overeating or compulsive overeating. I just knew I was ashamed of what I was doing and I didn't want other people to know. And, um, I thought, you know, uh, when I go to college and it started, it just progressed worse and worse throughout high school and got a little more extreme over the years. And I would try different things and try laxatives and, you know, try these extreme diets. And, um, I could only hang on for so long until I snapped and I would, uh, just overeat and binge and I would hide. And I was also wasn't getting uh, a whole lot of sleep. And so, um, I wasn't getting, uh, rest and the energy I needed from rest. And so I was turning to food in order to have energy and my body was changing. I was growing. I was also eating a lot. And, um, I thought, you know, once I get into college, things are going to change. I'm going to be on my own. I'm going to be able to control the environment a little bit more. Um, and it only continued to progress and get worse and worse and just more extreme and more intense. I remember one time when I was in college questioning if life was even worth it because it was so frustrating and it was like this mental, uh, this mental war that I was fighting. Nobody knew I was inside my own head and on the outside, I seemed to have it together. I was, you know, excelling in my, uh, college courses and I had a social life and, you know, there was, there was a lot that I was doing to, um, you know, to succeed and to do well, but I was fighting this battle silently and, um, I hated the way I looked. I was dealing with a lot of insecurity, um, and, it just continued throughout my college years and, uh, continued to get more and more intense. And, uh, I mustered up the courage to put myself at one point to put myself into therapy. I thought maybe I need to go to therapy and I can figure out, um, figure out what's going on. It was very scary for me to reach out for help. That was the first time I had ever reached out, but I had this thought in my head that prompted me to take action. And that was, I cannot imagine one day potentially handing this struggle down to my future children. I have to figure it out now. There's no way I would feel comfortable um, one day being married or becoming a mom if I don't get this thing figured out now because it is impacting me in so many ways. It would be, I don't know if I could live with myself if I pass this on. And so that prompted me to figure out 
to, to try and figure out what the heck I needed to do. And, uh, therapy seemed like the, uh, the best step. So I started going to therapy and while it was therapeutic in the sense that we were talking about, you know, different things from childhood and different things that I was struggling with, um, I, the behaviors with food weren't changing. Um, and that was really frustrating and really worrisome because I thought, well, I finally have reached out for help to a therapist and I'm still doing the same thing. I must be the outlier. Maybe this is going to be the thorn in my side for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And, um, my therapist recommended that I uh, try Overeaters Anonymous, which is like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, but just for those who are overeaters. And I tried that and um, it was really hard. It, I would go to these meetings where we would stand up and say things like, you know, my name is Jesse and I'm an overeater. My life has become unmanageable. And we would, we would recite these very disempowering things. Um, and knowing what I know now about the neuroscience of behavior change, I know that that's probably not the best thing to be affirming to ourselves is the thing that we don't want. Um, but we would, we would say those types of things. And, um, it, I, I had a sponsor, just like an AA, you can have a sponsor. I had a sponsor in OA. Um, and basically she was somebody that was there to hold me accountable, to not eat certain things, to not eat carbs or sugars. And, you know, again, knowing what we know now, what I know now about healing from disordered eating, it's like the more we restrict ourselves of something, the more we want that thing. And so I was just staying in these cycles and I was so discouraged and just my self-confidence, my self-esteem was continuing to just deteriorate. And, um, after I got out of college, I started to get really into fitness and I thought fitness was the solution. If I really understood stood fitness and, uh, proper nutrition, then I could get the body I want. I would find freedom from food. And that was my whole perspective. And when I got into fitness, I was then introduced to the world of bikini competing. And I decided that that was the, the that was the solution. If I signed up for a bikini competition, the pressure would be so high. Um, that there's no way I would fail myself. And that happened. It was so intense. The pressure, the, the, uh, deadline, the impending deadline of standing on stage in a bikini in front of an audience and judges was enough to get me to, uh, you know, stick with this diet. And I went on the most extreme diet that I've ever been on. I became completely neurotic with food. Um, I, my hormones got entirely messed up. I looked like I was on, uh, some type of a drug. Like my eyes were glossy all the time. Like I was strung out on something, uh, but it was just my hormones. They were completely out of whack. And, um, I had my sex drive tanked, my hair was falling out. My skin was breaking out. Um, and, um, I was having a hard time sleeping. I was dealing with insomnia and, um, all to, to look a certain way and thinking that because I was losing weight, that I was moving in the right direction, even though my health was actually deteriorating. And I remember the day of that first competition of mine, um, I was so miserable. I was so emaciated. I was, I was absolutely depleted of everything in my body of life. And I could not wait for the day to get over so I could go and eat. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was backstage and I didn't even have the energy or strength to stand. So I had to kneel down and hang onto the wall because I was so depleted. Um, and 
it was, yeah, I went out on stage. I did my thing. I came back and basically just collapsed and, and went out to dinner that night, ate at the cheesecake factory. And that started what would turn into the worst three to four month long binge that I had ever binge episode that I had ever experienced. I gained all the way back and more. My hormones were entirely out of whack. I was um, dealing with so much anxiety, so much um, like when you see your body a certain way, and then it changes so fast in such a short amount of time, it is, it, it, it just messes with your head so bad. And I remember thinking, I don't know how in the world people compete show after show after show, because I felt like I almost died. Like I couldn't even stand up. Um, and I, I started at the time to look into like, how, how do I do this in a healthier fashion? And, um, I needed to understand food and nutrition better. I was eating such a restrictive diet, um, and I was binging and I was just looking for resources. And eventually it led me into uh, more qual to work with more qualified nutritionists. I worked with, um, ended up working with the world's foremost expert in the study of metabolism at the time, who was a big figure in the fitness industry. Um, and I learned about how to approach dieting from a more flexible macro-based approach. Um, and it was, it was much healthier, um, but it was still very obsessive compulsive. Um, it took me in a better direction than the direction I was going in. Um, but I was still, I was still neurotic with food. I was still binging. I was, I would snap. I would, you know, it would be like, okay, I can follow my macros for so, so long. And then it was just like, I'd be sick of it. Um, and so I stayed in the cycles, but I was also starting to look more into, um, neuroscience and understanding how the brain worked. And I was running across a lot of articles on addicts, um, those who struggle with addiction. And, um, they were explaining kind of how the brain works with those who struggle with addiction. And I was like, man, this sounds so much like what I'm dealing with but with food. Um, and I started to find a little bit more on food struggles. And I realized like, man, I, I need to understand the brain. I need to understand neuroscience. I need to understand how my brain is working and why I'm behaving the way I'm behaving. And so I just started to go down this rabbit hole of self-study. And I started to find these different techniques, mental reprogramming techniques, brain rewiring techniques. And, um, I started to try them on myself and, uh, sure enough, I started to find some relief from the behaviors that I was engaging in through a lot of repetition of some of these techniques that I was practicing. And it was the first time I felt hope and I was excited. And I felt like, oh my gosh, like maybe there is a way out. Maybe this isn't my destiny. Maybe this isn't the thorn in my side. Um, and so that's kind of where my journey led was down this path of really understanding of the neuroscience of behavior change. And I became so fascinated by it because it took me out of my struggles of binge emotional overeating when, and body hate when nothing else did. Um, and I became so passionate, passionate about what I was learning that I went on to get certified at the Institute for the psychology of eating to then be able to, uh, mentor and coach other women who are going through the same thing. Um, so that's kind of, I know that was long winded, but that's the synopsis of my journey and my story with, uh, yeah, with food and body. Well, first of all, thanks so much for sharing all that. Mm -hmm. And I have so many things I want to circle back to because mm -hmm. I also struggled with disordered eating. And there was a time um, during my eating disorder years, especially where I would binge, I would restrict and then binge, but didn't know. I don't know if it's because I didn't do enough research or because like you said, I don't think that health professionals were like as well equipped with where to 
guide patients. Um, mm-hmm. But I would binge and I would associate that with, okay, I eat. Like mm-hmm. I don't have an eating disorder because I eat. And even mm-hmm. though I would feel so much shame from binging um, and feel so like not only physically sick, but just like mentally ill and um, isolated, you know, I mean, it was just, it was an mm-hmm. anxious season, the most anxious season of my life. Um, but I would justify it with, well, people keep telling me that I have an eating disorder, but I don't because I eat because I binge. Mm. Um, I didn't know, yeah. to, I didn't know to label it as binging then I just labeled it as, well, I just like, don't eat till the end of the day, you know? <laughs> and that's, yeah. it is a disorder. I mean, it is a disease binging itself. And so many women who I coach, um, I think come to realizations while being coached by me in just the fitness realm of, man, I'm like, so I don't know why I'm so hungry when we're working out. And I'll say like, well, when was the last time you eat? And they'll say, well, I don't really eat till the nighttime. And we kind of uncover that. And I'm like, well, what are you eating at night? What, why aren't you eating till then? And to be able to put a label on what their behaviors are like without labeling them as a person has been really transformative of this is a behavior that is unhealthy. It's not who you are. Mm -hmm. I love how you said in the overeating anonymous, like to go up there, I've always struggled with this too. My dad's an AA and I, and I struggle with just labeling yourself every day as I'm an alcoholic. I realize there's like some method to it from the past, but for me, it's putting a false identity on who you're, who you are or who you're trying to become. Because yeah. if you always say I'm an alcoholic, then you can't ever step into the freedom of I'm sober. Like mm-hmm. I'm an overcomer, you know, yeah. um, fully yeah. in your, in your brain. Um, yeah. so I love that you said that about overeaters anonymous is you didn't, it, it didn't resonate with you. You know, it didn't yeah. resonate saying that out loud. It's putting a false label on women. And I think what you do really well through your business is, you identify where people are struggling, but you also lead them down a path that that helps them overcome that identification. So that's not who they are. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, the labeling is super dangerous, and um, it's you know who we what we believe. Researchers believe that true behavior change is belief change, and if we believe we are a certain way our thoughts, our energy, our emotions go into creating that reality. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. And so it's really important to understand, uh, I might, yeah, I might be engaging in these behaviors. I might be feeling certain sensations, uh, but that's not who I am, who I am, who I was born to be as a natural intuitive eater. Our body, our body is full of wisdom. Our body knows how to take care of us. We don't have to micromanage every gram of protein, carb, fat, sugar, whatever that goes in, um, in order to live very, very healthy. And of course there's exceptions where individuals have medical conditions and really have to monitor certain things. Absolutely. But, uh, we need to be really careful in, uh, how we identify who we are. And my husband and I were talking about this the other day. Uh, we both had a challenging probably year and a half. We've gone through a lot of things in our personal life, uh, professional life. And, um, And there's been some things that could have shaken our sense of self and our confidence. And 
we were talking about how, you know, if we don't continue to get up every single day and bet on ourselves and believe on ourselves, believe in ourselves, who will? And so no matter what happens, no matter where we fail, where we fall short, how we're rejected, what happens, we're going to get up every single day and bet on ourselves because if we don't, who will? Mm. And so, um, when it comes to labeling or identifying things within myself, um, I will recognize and be very self-reflective and understand the behaviors that I'm engaging in or the habits that I'm engaging in or the patterns that I'm engaging in that aren't supportive, but I will never label myself that I will recognize and identify. And then I'll reinforce who I am, who I am working to become and who I am practicing embodying. Um, and that's really important. And I think what you said about, um, not, you know, not, not knowing if you were, um, you know, had an eating disorder, um, because you, you ate, I think there's a common misconception. A lot of people who struggle with food are there, that question might be floating around in their mind. Do I have an eating disorder or what's wrong with me when it comes to food? Like, why can't I just be normal? And maybe those of you listening know somebody in your life who just kind of seems to have it easy with food. They don't seem too preoccupied with it. They leave food on their plate because they've lost interest because they're not hungry anymore. Uh, they don't, don't seem obsessive compulsive. They don't seem like their whole day's planned around when they're going to eat or what they're not going to eat. Um, and I always say to clients who are, you know, just in this place of uncertainty with food and insecurity in their body, I say, instead of trying to identify and label whether or not you are a binge eater or an overeater, an emotional eater, or have an eating disorder, instead, if you can ask yourself a series of 10 different questions or a handful of questions, some of them are you know, do I ever feel a sense of a loss of control with food? Do I, um, do I feel guilt and shame for what I eat or for my body? Do I feel like there's no way that I could possibly trust my intuition to guide my eating? Do I sometimes sneak or hide food for fear of judgment or because I don't want to be seen because I feel shame? Um, do I have to meticulously track weigh, measure everything that I put in my mouth. Um, there's a, there's a handful of other questions we can dive into, but if you, if you're dealing, if you are, do I constantly think about food is food always in the forefront of my mind or kind of in the back of my mind is my body image and the way that I look constantly in the front of my mind or in the back of my mind, if you can answer yes to any of these questions, we don't need to label ourselves disordered, but what we can do is recognize there's an opportunity to, uh, reach greater levels of freedom and healing and and when we look at this and say, okay, yeah, maybe that's, and what we can say is that's not normal. And maybe I, maybe in your life, you see people around you who are constantly talking about dieting and they, they are kind of neurotic around food and they're always talking about their weight. And even though it's, um, common, it's not normal. There's a lot of people who are struggling with these unhealthy behaviors because diet culture is this, um, multi-billion dollar um, a year business, uh, business. And so it's an industry that is infiltrating us from every single angle. And so, uh, to, to look at it and say, you know what, I'm not disordered. I'm not even going to adopt the label of having an eating disorder, but I am going to identify, maybe I'm engaging in some unhealthy tendencies with food, unhealthy behaviors with food, and they're not normal, nor are they optimal. And there's a way to reprogram our brain. So we don't act like that. So we don't behave like that. So we don't feel neurotic so that we can feel peace and ease. And we can, you know, easily listen to our body, which is something I never thought I'd be able to do, but it's available to everybody. If they they're struggling, if they just understand how to rewire their brain. And it's not about 
changing the brain to something entirely new. It's getting back to how the brain is designed because you were born as a natural intuitive eater, which simply means you're able to listen to your hunger and fullness cues, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. And there's not all of this mental and emotional turmoil that's all wrapped up in, in eating. I love those questions so much. Like I want you to send me all of them because, because you really did just put into words things that people don't realize are little triggers towards unhealthy habits. And I love that you don't have to say, you know, my name's Catherine and I had an eating disorder, but instead you can say, you know, my name's Catherine and I kind of struggle with tracking calories and I want to like break that habit. You know, it it just, I'm really big on identity. And so I love those questions so much because it creates this self-awareness And what I've loved about your story is even when you were in your darkest season, there was still something innately in you that was very self-aware and geared towards resilience. You were, you were like, when you were like, I don't know, this doesn't feel right. You listen to your gut at the Overeaters Anonymous. This doesn't feel right. I'm going to, I'm going to try this. Or even when you were like, I'm going to start studying the brain. Like to me, that is like an innate gift within you that was like very self-aware, very listening to your intuition of, Hmm, something rubs me the wrong way. Let Mm -hmm. me step into this and and do some research on that. And I think if as women, we stopped, we put, we stopped listening to what the world tells us we should be doing, or we should be thinking or how we should be eating or moving our bodies. And instead listen to that innate intuition within us then we could actually step into the direction that is freeing for us instead of, instead of distracting our minds with what society tells us, you know, we, you should go to Overeaters Anonymous. You should go to this type of therapy. You should do this. Well, all those things are not innately wrong, but they're, they may not be for you and what, and what for Mm -hmm. you is healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I always say, you know, I don't ever, I'm, I don't ever want it to come across like I am bashing OA or AA or therapy. I'm a huge advocate for therapy. My husband and I attend uh, marriage counseling. We love it. I think therapy is great for so many different reasons. It just wasn't helping me stop my behaviors with food. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what I was going for. Um, And uh, OA and AA have helped so many people. And I think that's a beautiful thing. However, I, I want to go in a direction that has a higher chance of success because for every person that they are in fact helping, there's a lot of people that aren't getting the help that they need from those places or aren't finding the success that they're hungering for under those models. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so those who have gone to either of those and have found success and sobriety and freedom from overeating, that's amazing. And I think they're, you know, having, having different, um, different options out there is a beautiful thing. However, when the science evolves, we must evolve with it. That science is always digging deeper and understanding our brain and how we work. And, uh, we need to move in those directions. We need to understand, um, 
you know, things that have higher chances of success, why don't we move in that direction? So that's all I'm saying. I think there's a, um, a lot of people out there who have found a lot of freedom from OA and AA and thank God for those programs that have helped so many. Um, but like I said, I just think there's a better way now, um, to do things. I think there's new research out there that leads us in a direction of greater freedom. Yeah, absolutely. Would you mind speaking into that season of transition in your life when you decided to step into intuitively eating, listening to your body, understanding the brain? And my my question is, as you shift from this um, lifestyle of restriction and binging into um, listening to your body, was there shame associated Mm -hmm. with that? Um, because I'm sure there's a lot of women who are in the in-between and thinking like, ah, like this feels chaotic. And I want Mm -hmm. them to feel encouraged that if they just push through that transition, then they'll experience that freedom on the other side. It's just the resilience Mm -hmm. factor. So would you mind speaking into that season of your life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, um, it was a process for me because I don't have the, I didn't have the format, the tools, the techniques, and the the structure that I now offer to clients, which makes their journey go a lot faster than mine went. Um, so it was, it was a process for me. It was, it took time. It was a lot of trial and error. Um, but that season of transition, I just got to a breaking point where I was so sick of fighting my body. I was so sick of constantly tracking and weighing and measuring every gram of protein, carbon fat that went in my body. And it was like, I just wanted to find a place of peace. And I remember I heard one time somebody saying what you, what you've done to have, what you have to do to get the body you want is what you will have to maintain in order to keep that body and, and things like that. And I heard certain things like that. And I, I remember people saying like, can you, can you track macros the rest of your life? I'm like, no, like, there's no way I could do this the rest of my life. It's exhausting. But the, the alternative was scary. Cause I didn't know anything different than obsessing about, you know, being on a meal plan, jumping from meal plan to meal plan or counting calories or counting macros or counting points. Um, so it was really scary. Um, but I started to find resources that would, were supporting me. And, um, I remember the first time I heard the phrase intuitive eating, a friend of mine and I were walking out of the gym and he said, have you heard of this intuitive eating thing? And I was like, no, what is it? And he was like, basically it's where you listen to your body. You eat when you're hungry, you stop when you're full. And we both burst into laughter because we thought, how ridiculous is that? There's no way we could just listen to our body. If I listened to my body, I would be elbow deep in a tub of ice cream every single night. Like there's no way. Um, and so we just laughed it off and thought how ridiculous and stupid it was. Um, and for those of you who are struggling with the idea of just listening to your body, you're, you're probably dealing with a lot of fears too, because maybe anytime you've listened to your body and, and had a relaxed day, it's turned into a binge or you've spiraled out of control. And Uh, that's really scary. And that is what I call the messy middle where we have to release a lot of the pressure food has probably gotten, um, food probably has a little bit of a magic to you. If you are struggling with it, uh, a little bit of an allure, it's like this, like dark energy. It's like this rebellious thing that you do where you feel what I call the binge or overeating high when you snap and you give in and you, you get that, you know, I don't know, fifth cookie, or you're, you know, you're going for thirds or fourths when you're already stuffed full. Um, 
And that feeling, that sensation, that, that high that you might be getting where food just feels euphoric, uh, is because you've wired your brain to, uh, release all of these feel good chemicals, um, that are reinforcing this toxic behavior because there's been these periods of restriction marked with these periods of these rebounding periods. And so when I was going through, um, this process of, I was just worn out. I don't want to do this anymore, but I was terrified, but I was so exhausted. Um, it was like, I, I had no choice. I was so tired of fighting myself. And so I thought I'm going to try and, uh, I'm going to try to pursue this. I'm going to try to just listen to my body. And for me, it was a weaning off of counting macros. I slowly weaned off of it, um, and tried to start listening to my body. And sure enough, I ate more than what was balanced. I ate, I was thinking about food a lot. I was really excited about the food. I wasn't, hadn't been allowing myself for a long time. And so I was eating more than normal. Um, but that is entirely normal. Um, you have to get through again, what I call the messy middle where you allow yourself to eat all of the things and, um, and feel the feels of what it's like to eat things that were formerly off limits. We need to make sure that food is no longer placed on a pedestal. And what happens is when your brain knows for certain that you can have whatever you want at any time of the day, it's good. It stops longing for it and craving it. But there is a very real messy middle where you might, most people do, um, eat more than feels balanced, eat a lot of your, uh, quote unquote, off limits foods. Um, and eventually those foods lose their magic. Like I said, they lose their allure and they no longer have this pull over it. When you know, at any time of the day, you could go get a cookie and it, it's no big deal. Guess what? Your body isn't constantly craving. It's not constantly craving all that junk food. I thought mine would, but I had to go through this period of allowing myself to eat all the things. And the most important thing is that, uh, we give ourselves time. That could be a couple month period, a few months of that. It could be even longer than that. And also, uh, we have to learn tools and techniques to release guilt, shame, fear, judgment, and overwhelm, because that those are all forms of mental restriction. So we know calorie restriction, and food restriction leads to binge eating. That's a very normal, healthy response of a body in restriction and calorie or food restriction is to binge. That's normal. Um, so we have to remove the restriction, but we also have to understand mental and emotional restriction. And that causes us to stay on the hamster wheel and causes the binge and overeating cycles to, you know, to, to continue on. And I felt shame. I felt shame and I had to work through releasing that. And a lot of that was doing a lot of body image work. I had to re recognize that I am so much more than my body. I had to make peace with my imperfections. Um, and I had to recognize that maybe the body that I longed so much for wasn't, uh, the body that was healthy for me. I, I had this ideal number in mind and there is no way that that is healthy for my body. Um, and I had to make peace with that. I had to recognize that this obsessive compulsive longing to reach a certain number was costing me more than it was worth and my health. It wasn't even uh, about health. So many of us uh, disguise our disordered tendencies under the guise of health. How many of you know that you really don't care that much about whether the diet is helping you with your health, but rather it's all about what you're going to look like. Mm -hmm. And like I had to make peace with that reality. And so there was a, there was a period when I was going through the messy middle of mourning, mourning, um, this 
perfectionism that I wanted to cling to and uh, really stepping into acceptance, releasing guilt and shame and believing that um, I could be loved. I could be appreciated. I could be accepted um, in a body that I didn't have to that didn't require me to be neurotic around food and obsessive compulsive with exercise in order to maintain. So yeah, yeah. there was a lot of shame. There was a lot of guilt and a lot of releasing. Yeah. I love the way that you speak it. It really puts into words thoughts that I, like, as you were saying that I, I immediately recognized what my messy middle was. Like I immediately mm-hmm. remembered, Oh, that was this season for me. It was a season where I shifted from, I'm not going to, I'm going to delete the apps. I'm going to throw away my scale. I'm going to, you know, listen to my body, but without knowing how to listen to my body, it looked like, well, I'm going to just go to the store and get like tons of like trail mix because nuts are kind of healthy. And then I would just eat all the trail mix. And eventually, and that lasted, you said it could last months. It could last shorter or longer. It lasted probably a year for me. And, Mm -hmm. and I think now I, I can grab a handful of nuts and not be like, I need to eat the whole bag. And Mm -hmm. I don't know when that shifted, but I remember it being more than just the handful because I, I I couldn't, I couldn't dislocate my brain from my past behaviors yet. And, and I love that there are professionals like you out there, um, like professionals in, in both intuitive eating exercise, like soul, what your business does with coaching women one-on-one. I love that there's very specific professionals who can be a resource to women now. And I think that that's what is so transformative about this day and age is now people are coming out about their stories. They're sharing where they've been. They're sharing what they do and specifically what they can add value to your life. And as I'm saying this, I I'm speaking to all of our listeners who feel stuck. There are resources out there for you. You do not have to do this alone like you. And if you, if you feel like you're doing it alone, send one of us a DM and we'll connect you. If it's not us, it's someone, I mean, you do not, and you should not go through this healing process alone. The accountability factor, the even venting about what you're feeling in a certain moment while you're eating, that is so crucial to healing. And you could, you could be leaps and bounds ahead of where you are. If you just did it with someone guiding you or someone by your side to just hold you accountable. Mm -hmm. And so I encourage Mm -hmm. you listeners to find what resource works best for you. If it's therapy, great. If it's, um, a binge eating coach to conquer that and find freedom, like Jesse, awesome. If it's a gym where they don't have mirrors, maybe that's triggering for you. Mm -hmm. Go to that gym. If you know, figure out what resources are available to you and step into it. Don't be shy. Step into that. Ask for help. That's huge. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, sorry. I just am so passionate about the accountability factor because I have seen people do it alone and continue to try to heal and hiding and healing and hiding is just so isolating. And it eventually it's that mental factor. Your, your anxiety cannot handle that kind of pressure. Mm -hmm. You have to relieve it and release it somewhere. Yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for sharing all that. I feel like I just like went to church um, for, <laughs> for body image. <laughs> it was so, I mean, it's so cool. I, I follow you on Instagram and 
um, I've heard bits and pieces of your story, but to hear it like all together in one um, story has been just really cool for me to hear mm -hmm. as um, just a admirer of you. And, and mm -hmm. I, I'm really excited to hear what our listeners, how our listeners find freedom just from listening to 45 minutes of you speak. And mm -hmm. I, I, I want them to step into whatever they feel like their body is saying to do to, in order to heal. Um, so thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. I have four questions that I ask every single guest at the okay. end of the episode, and I didn't tell you them ahead of time, <laughs> but I'm going to ask you them right now. Um, what's something that you are currently obsessed with, like a TV show, a book, a podcast, a food, mm -hmm. um, an exercise, something that you're like, oh, I love this so much right now. Yeah. Oh, you know, well, I feel like, um, I have become obsessed with, um, understanding how to build this deck. I am currently in the process of building a deck at my cabin, and it is something that has required every ounce of my energy and our resources and coordinating and logistics and getting our friends to come all the way up here to help us build. And so my whole, like I've been obsessed with carpentry, which is something I've never been. <laughs> That's a first. In. That's a first. But yeah. When you've had, when you've had no choice because you're quoted a $30,000 quote to rebuild a deck, it's like, no way you've got to figure it out. And so I've just put my head to it. And so that's something that I've been obsessed with recently, but more along the lines of probably what you're looking for. Um, let's see, what have I been obsessed with? There are these popsicles, um, at, um, Costco that we got a couple weeks ago. And I wish I could tell you the brand, but they're Costco and they're like, <laughs> They have coconut in them Ooh. and they're creamy. They're not icy popsicles, but they're kind of more creamy. Mm. Um, and they have, they, every popsicle has like coconut shreds in it. Um, but they're different flavors. Like one's just pure coconut, one's strawberry, coconut, mango, coconut. Ooh. If you go to Costco, you got to get them. They are fantastic. So I've been obsessed with those popsicles too. <laughs> I, I, well, first of all, I'm obsessed with Costco just as a whole, <laughs> in my whole day there. <laughs> but we, um, we moved into this house like a month before, um, COVID hit and then the lumber prices went up and our, our goal was to build a porch for our house. I mean, when we bought it, we were like, we'll just add a porch one day, like in the next year. And then we started getting quotes and we were like, we cannot, we cannot justify this type of payment for a porch on our house. No. So good, good, good on you for building that deck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not to that point yet. <laughs> the price of lumber is what, like three or four times what it normally is. So it's already expensive. Just, I mean, we've probably spent, oh, I don't know, seven, 8,000 just on lumber. And fortunately I have a bunch of friends who've been willing to help us build it. Um, but that's crazy. The deck yeah. should have only cost us maybe three, three, four grand max, max in lumber, but no, it's been wild. Yeah. Well, good on you because we're still like, <laughs> we'll just wait till those go down because we can't do the labor part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay. Our, uh, my second question is what's something that you're looking forward to in 2021? Mm, 
I am looking forward to, I'm nervous, but I'm also very looking forward to my explant surgery. I'm getting my implants removed in July. Um, I believe they are part of what's potentially making me sick. I'm dealing with some, uh, some rashes on my face, memory fog, memory loss. Um, and so I am really excited to get those out. If you are a woman and you've ever considered breast augmentation, just know that breast implant illness is a real thing. There are, there are millions of women who suffer from it. And, um, yeah, just do your research beforehand. I got them, uh, my implants cause I was very insecure about my chest, um, back in 2013 and I had no problems. Um, you can have breast implant illness symptoms immediately after getting them, your body can reject them. It can be years later. You can go through a big life event and your body decides to reject them. Your hormones can change and your body decides to reject them. Um, so it can happen at any time. So I'm now what, seven or so years into having them. Um, so yeah, just really excited to get them out. I'm nervous. Cause I don't know what it, what my chest is going to look like, but, um, yeah, just ready to hopefully reclaim health. Well, that's awesome. I mean, I hope that you feel better and that your skin feels better. And I mean, yes, another reason you. why you are just self-aware, you did your research and you're like, it's time to get these things out <laughs> and good on you. That's great. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. Third question is what is something that you really love about yourself? Hmm. Um, I love my resilience a lot. I have faced a lot of challenges in my life and I've chosen to be resilient. I've chosen to stay in the arena and continue to put myself out there despite many challenges. Um, and I'm really proud of that. I'm proud of the fact that I don't give up that, um, no matter how many times I fail, no matter how long something takes me, I will continue to push forward until I succeed. Um, and I'm really proud of the fact that I'm not afraid of failure anymore. I love that about myself. I, I embrace failure now as, uh, one of the key ingredients to success. I believe that those we are inspired by, um, have failed more times than we've even tried. Um, in order to get to their success. And so, um, yeah, I really appreciate that quality in myself. I, uh, my one word, I don't know if you've ever heard of one word, but mm -hmm. I pick a word at the beginning of the year and my one word for 2020, which thank goodness, because 2020 was just a big old shit show, um, was resilience. And mm -hmm. what I found, I, I, I made myself really aware as that was my word of just how freaking resilient women are. And we don't give ourselves enough credit for that. We really do like just push through hard things. And mm -hmm. I love that. That's something mm -hmm. that you recognize in yourself, because I think if more women recognize, like I'm resilient, like I'm really strong, we mm -hmm. could we could conquer even more, you know, mm -hmm. totally. Um, okay. Final question is if you could leave our listeners, which is mainly women, um, with one little piece of truth today, one little nugget of wisdom to end on, what would that be? Mm, I would say that, um, the quality of your life is, um, is directly related to in a large part, um, 
the quality of your community, your relationships and your connections. Um, and that goes for healing your relationship with food. Um, we are tribal people at our core and in some parts of the world in in parts of Europe and other parts of the world where people live the longest, um, live to be a uh, hundred plus years old. People have studied them. Um, and the, the recipe to their, their vitality and every one of the cultures that, um, are living the longest have very rich social lives, very rich connection. Um, and that's a priority in their lives. And I believe that, um, one of the quickest ways to heal a dysfunctional relationship with food and body is to get in connection with, uh, people who understand you, people who love you and to start practicing vulnerability, which is the strongest human connector. So the more we can focus on cultivating, um, amazing circles to hang out in with people that lift us up, people that we can be ourselves with people that allow our nervous system to take a big old exhale and just relax. Um, and to really have quality time with people, um, we will see ourselves heal in all of the ways that, um, you know, we have all these, these fancy tools and techniques we teach in the food freedom online program, but our biggest tool, our biggest technique for helping women heal is, uh, getting them connected with one another. Um, it is so, so important. If you are struggling alone, um, if, if nobody knows, like the, your first step is to start to share it with people, reach out, um, reach out to, um, people, you know, people you feel safe with or a professional reach out to me, reach out to whomever to start to get connected and get support. And I really believe that the quality of your life will improve. And sometimes it's scary and be willing to lean into the fear because I promise you that it's worth it to cultivate really strong, healthy human connection to be fully known and fully loved will, um, will transform your life. Yes. Community is everything. I actually list speaking of brain health. I listened to a podcast this past year. I can't remember who the doctor was, but of a doctor who studies brains. <laughs> and he was saying that the healthiest thing you can do for your brain is so simple. And it's 30 minutes of mindful movement and 30 minutes of intentional conversation or connection with a friend or family member or someone in your community having mm -hmm. intentionality in your day that is mm -hmm. based off social interaction, it improves your brain health more than you even know. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, find community. If you don't find it, if you don't have it yet, we can help you find it. Um, can you totally. let our listeners know what's the best place to find you? Um, and I'll link everything else in the show notes. Yeah, totally. Um, I hang out if you like podcasts, which I'm assuming you do, if you're listening to Catherine's, um, I hang out over on my podcast, which is called the dear body podcast. It's, um, available on all podcast platforms. And then like Catherine said earlier, I am on social media. It's at Jesse Jean, J E S S I J E A N N N. And then if you're interested in the food freedom online program or freedom online program.com slash F F M as in food freedom masterclass. Um, and yeah, that's where I spend my time. Yes. Um, and I'll link all that in the show notes, but definitely follow her, definitely subscribe to her podcast. It's one of my favorites out there. Mm -hmm. Um, and thank you so much for being mm -hmm. a guest Thanks on our me. podcast. Yeah. It was thank awesome you so getting to know you. Mm, likewise. Okay. Listeners, we will talk to you again next week. Bye. Whoa!